G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Our series is entitled, The Son of God, Understanding the Gospel of John, Part 1, a verse-by-verse audio commentary, part of the larger Understanding the Bible series. Friends, it's without question, knowing God's Word and putting into practice is going to change your life for the better, not just quantitatively, but qualitatively in every area. It is a lamp to our feet. It is a light unto our path, and we are blessed to be learning the Gospel of John, verse by verse. We're in John chapter 8, and the theme of John 8 is the light of the world. Of course, it's Jesus who fits that description. He is the light of the world, which is another way of saying he is from heaven. He is of God. This particular lesson is about Abraham. Before Abraham was, I am. That's not just the title of the lesson. It's a statement by Jesus himself. It's a remarkable statement, to say the least. And if it wasn't true, it would be outlandish. But the fact is, it's very true. And this is truth that sets us free. So the lesson is called, Before Abraham Was, I Am. Based on John chapter 8, verses 51 to 59. And let me read to you a few verses out of this range of text. It says here in verse 58, actually 56, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And then the people said to him, You're not even 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? And that's where Jesus says, Before Abraham was, I am. Am. This is a remarkable statement because the fact is Abraham lived approximately 2,000 years before Christ. Think of it this way. When we as the church have waited 2,000 years for the second coming of Jesus, there is a historical precedent. From the time of Abraham, they waited 2,000 years for the first coming of Jesus. Now, a hundred years is a long time. A thousand years seems very, very long. But let's also look at it from the divine perspective. According to Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, a day is to the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. From God's point of view, a thousand years is like 24 hours to us, because our God is beyond the space-time realm space, time, everything. He, in fact, injected himself into space and time for creation and for our purposes, but he's beyond the space-time domain. So therefore, yesterday, today, and forever are, in some sense, all the same to God. 
Now, please don't think it's going to be boring in eternity. The creator of the universe is not boring. And whatever he makes is not boring either. And whatever he's prepared for his beloved is not boring. It will be multidimensional, multicolored. In fact, it will be so indescribably wonderful that no book could capture it all. In fact, this planet would not be big enough for the book that would be written just describing eternity. And not even all eternity, even just a snapshot of eternity. Remember that day and night will cease, and time as we know it will also cease, and the realm we'll be in is going to be what I call 3G. 3G, all good, all glory, all God. So what we're going to learn is that Jesus had a pre-existence. He was the Word that was in the beginning. He was not just the Word was with God. He was God. All things were made by him. So even though Abraham lived a long time before, Jesus precedes him. We're going to learn that Jesus speaks about that those that believe in him shall never see death. And that they will learn about the source of honor how Abraham saw Christ's day, how Jesus is the great I am, and basically, because he declares himself as the I am, it will be war between him and his enemies who oppose the word of God. Now it's time to read the entire portion of John chapter 8, verses 51 to 59. Our lesson is called Before Abraham Was, I Am. From John 8, 51 to 59. This is the word of God. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Then said the Jews unto him, now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead and the prophets. And thou sayest, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? And the prophets are dead? Who makest thou thyself? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me, of whom ye say that he is your God. Yet ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say, I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. But I know him, and keep his saying. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. And took they up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Our reading is from John chapter 8, verses 51 to 59, and the lesson is called Before Abraham Was, I Am. Well, this is a very important passage. Again, a little uncomfortable. And remember something. Jesus talked about, why do you want to murder me? They thought, you've got a devil. And here at the very last verse, they were proceeding to do exactly what he said they would do. Well, let's lead up to that point, and of course, beyond. Verse 51 of John 8, never see 
death. Jesus continues a strident dialogue with a group of Jews at the temple compound. Instead of choosing to commit and follow the master, they were initially thinking about it, they became very resistant to his words. They claimed to be children of God and even children of Abraham. Jesus says their real father is the devil. Jesus accuses them of wanting to murder him in lockstep like that of their father, the devil. They also are liars like the devil. They are very insulting, implying that Jesus was born of fornication, that Jesus was a Samaritan, a half-caste, a foreigner, that Jesus had a devil in him. Jesus continues to speak to them despite all opposition. He makes the startling statement that if any man keeps his saying, he shall never see death. Remember that continuing in the words of Christ confirms one's discipleship and imparts truth that sets them free from sin and death. That's John 8, verses 31 to 32. What does he mean? After all, Christians have been living and dying, living and dying for 2,000 years. What does he mean when he says, if you believe in him, you shall never see death? Well, The New Testament Greek word for see is theorio, which means to gaze, survey, view attentively, perceive, and discern. Disciples of Jesus do not live under a death sentence, nor are they preoccupied with it. They are all focusing on life, light, and the future. When physical death comes, they close their eyes on this side, They open their eyes on the other side, but when they open their eyes on the other side, they do not see death. Who do you think they see? That's right, they see Jesus. They are, as 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 8 says, absent from the body, but present with the Lord. Well, let's also take a quick look at the word death in the Greek. They shall never see death. To see is theorio. And death is thanatos, thanatos, which speaks of separation of the soul and spirit from the body. It also intimates a future terror in hell. The true disciple will not see anything of the kind. They will see God, they will see Christ, they will see heaven, they will see glory. All of this should be a great comfort for every believer. Then in John eight fifty two, Abraham is dead offended, insulting these people speaking to Jesus, say that for sure he has a devil. Abraham and the prophets, who are God's holy men, are all dead. How can he say that if you keep his words, you shall never see death? Well, we understand what he means. We've just talked about it. But of course, they don't understand. They can't hear what he's saying. They cannot comprehend what he's saying. Even though he's speaking perfect Aramaic or perfect Hebrew, they just don't get it. The reason, of course, they're not born again. Because of their lack of the new birth, they have plenty of religion, but religion doesn't cut it. Remember what he said, the Lord himself, in Matthew 5.20, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5.20, that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will in no wise enter into God's kingdom. I mean, that's pretty frightening, because these were supposed to be the leaders and role models for the Jewish people in ancient Israel. 
And basically the Lord's saying, they're not going to make it. So you're going to have to have a new kind of righteousness that is more than theirs. Well, of course, the New Testament teaches us what that righteousness is. It's not righteousness by religious works and intentions. It's righteousness by faith. When we believe in Jesus, his righteousness is downloaded into us. So we're not living on our own, but on his righteousness. That's the righteousness that gets us in to the kingdom of God. So then they asked the question in John eight fifty three: are you greater than Abraham? Now, Jesus was a relatively young man. He was in his early 30s, while Abraham was an aged, revered patriarch who lived 2,000 years earlier. Jesus is asked if he was greater than our father Abraham. And was Jesus greater than the prophets, all who were dead? Who do you think you are? Well, of course, the short answer is, is he greater than Abraham the prophets? Absolutely, yes. But he doesn't go there. He, he does it in other ways. And he speaks about what we call the source of honor. In John eight fifty four, Jesus says that if he personally tried to honor himself, it is nothing. It is the Heavenly Father, the same one they claim as their God, who does the honoring. And let me tell you, it is more important than a Nobel Peace Prize, an Olympic gold medal, an Academy Award, more important than all these worldly acclaim or worldly acclaim items to honor God and to receive honor from him in return. In fact, honor from God should be our highest goal. We gain honor from God by honoring Christ, the one whom God has sent. And Jesus himself tells us that whoever honors me, him or her, will my Father honor in return. So then we go to verse 55 of John 8. Jesus says, I know God. You don't. I do. So he tells his detractors, who become very hostile, that they don't know God. But he knows God. If he, Jesus, made a claim that he did not know God, he would be a liar just like them, which, of course, is another trait of the devil, their father. But Jesus knows God and keeps his sayings. So that's why he's in favor with God, even though he has increasing hostility from people. But then comes this rather remarkable verse, John eight fifty six. Abraham, their ancestor, rejoiced to see Christ's day. He saw it and was glad. This leads me to a question. When did Abraham, who lived 2,000 years earlier, when did he see Christ's day? Did he see Christ's day in his own day or in Christ's day 2,000 years later? The evidence points that Abraham saw Christ in his own day. Abraham, for example, saw Christ when he met Melchizedek, the prince and priest of Salem, of whom Christ has a similar priesthood. Genesis 14, Hebrews 7, verse 3. Remember that the Melchizedek priesthood is actually higher than the Levitical priesthood, which is the priesthood of ancient Israel, because Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, and Levi, the priestly tribe, 
metaphorically paid tithes to Melchizedek through Abraham. We believe Abraham saw Christ as the angel of the Lord in Mamre. That's in Genesis 18. Abraham saw Christ in the great intercession for Sodom and Gomorrah. Also Genesis 18. Abraham saw Christ in the election of Isaac over Ishmael. Genesis 21. And, of course, lest we forget, Abraham saw Christ in the near sacrifice of Isaac when Isaac was substituted for a ram caught in the thicket. God provided a lamb for the burnt offering, and that's why he is called Jehovah-Jireh in Genesis 22. So at key points in the life of Abraham, he not only saw God's hand, he saw the Son of God, Christ Jesus. That's what it means with Abraham rejoiced to see Christ's day. Verse 57 of John 8, by now Jesus' listeners were beside themselves. They just couldn't handle his words. They protested that he was a relatively young man under 50, yet he has the audacity to claim that he saw Abraham. And then comes the punchline. John eight fifty eight. Jesus responds, Before Abraham was, time-bounded in the past, I am eternal, the living Son of God, who was, is, and is to come, the Almighty, the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I, Jesus, am more than a pronoun. The I am is a divine name. I am that I am. How about Exodus 3, verse 14? And God said to Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. Jesus is saying, by calling himself I am, that he is God. But that leads to our last verse, verse 59, it leads to war. His listeners perfectly understood what he meant for a change, and they declared war. They picked up stones, of which there were plenty of Jerusalem, so they could stone him to death. Earlier, he said they were trying to kill him, and this verse proves his point. But his time of passion and suffering had not yet come. Therefore Jesus hid himself, went out of the temple, walked right through the midst of them, and passed by. Well, our lesson is called, Before Abraham Was, I Am. And our lesson for life is this, Those who believe shall see Christ, just like Abraham. taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.